Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Rublev routes Rude in Bostov. Chin Wenzheng captures her first tour title. And Croatia are crowned Hotman Cup champions. Chris, today is the 24th of July and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis here at Tennis Weekly HQ. We've had a week since Wimbledon, uh, but time has not stood still for you because you've been out in Sweden at the Swedish Open, getting uh, on the ground, going lots of behind the scenes action uh, from all the players there. So, I'm, you know, you haven't had a week off, have you? Joel is on a week off. Uh, but we are both here to catch up on the past week because we've had a load of tournaments going on, including a Hotman Cup in its kind of new form and new time of the year. Um, but have you had any post-Wimbledon Blues or have you been straight out into those clay courts in Sweden? Well, I'd kind of already moved on from Wimbledon because I was already in Sweden at the time um, watching the final um, uh, from the Bostar Hills. Um And I've, I've been very busy, so I feel like maybe it will kick in now. Maybe I just was able to kind of tide over those post-Wimbledon blues um, by spending that week in Sweden. Um, but no, it's been um, it's been wonderful. I mean, back on the clay is a bit strange. I think we've all found that the adjustment. I mean, we've gone clay to grass to clay again for the players. So I think that's um, certainly a bit strange, but it's certainly a familiar sight having spent so much time on the clay uh, prior to this. Yes, and I have to say, yeah, that the Swedish hills, that sounds quite nice. Uh, it sounds quite lovely. Went idyllic. foraging, Kim. <laughs> you went foraging. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. A wild cherry, a wild raspberry, <laughs> all sorts. Oh, what a wholesome pursuit. I know. And then popping down for some wholesome tennis <laughs> at the Nordea Open. Oh, that sounds absolutely lovely. Um, yeah, it's been, it hasn't felt very summery here in the UK. Uh, we've had a lot of rain. But, but I'm, I'm hoping, then. <laughs> yeah, no different to Wimbledon. Hoping to go out and maybe do some blackberry picking when when the season commences. Um, you, you're talking of foraging there, but um, yeah, what's been your? I mean, aside from being at the tennis in Sweden, um, what's been your your highlight of this week? Because my eyes have been drawn to Mallorca as always. No, surely not Kim. I know. Roger Federer has been on holiday in Mallorca. Um, he's been out at Santa Ponza as well at the Mallorca Country Club, which is where they have the, the tennis tournament. And Venus Williams has also been on the island practicing at Rafa's Academy. So all these great tennis champions, you know, Rafa aside, he's obviously there permanently at the moment, really, apart from jetting off and holidays and what have you. Um, yeah, all these sort of greats have descended on Mallorca, which um, is all in the Mallorca kind of daily bulletin, like their, their newspaper. So they're obviously also quite excited to, to host them. Is that 49 slams um, in Mallorca at one time? Quite possibly, yeah. It, it, could, <laughs> it might be more than correct. that. Oh, <laughs> trying to figure that one out. but It's too many to I count. Mean, 
maybe that's um maybe that's uh, something's going to happen there there's going to be a big event a big party we're all going to get together or how have they left the island do we know well, I'm I'm not too sure. I don't I don't have my, you know, um spies on the ground. <laughs> but um yeah, I thought it was exciting. Venus obviously practicing in advance of the hard court season and you know, there's top-notch facilities at the Rafa Nadal Academy. So obviously a lot of, of players have trained there, including Casper Rude, who you've spent quite a lot of your week watching, haven't you? Yeah, and chatting to. I mean, he's been all around and the nature of Bostar is that it's so small that wherever you go, you kind of bump into players and you bump into him and his girlfriend, Maria, going to to dinner, um, walking down the only high street really there is um, in the small town. But my, my highlight from this week, um, and we will be doing a separate episode on all of the goings-on um, from Bostar, uh, and that will be slightly later in the week. Um, we're speaking to Rublev in that episode, um, former world number two and tournament director Magnus Norman, uh, and also Casper in that one. But my highlight for this episode is that the final was interrupted um, by a dog. Um, and then as soon as this happened, I turned to uh, the person I was sitting next to and I said, that's probably his dog because Casper's dog, Bias, is very, very loud. Um, it's a very, uh, I'd say a yappy little dog, very sweet thing. Um, but Casper then realised it was also probably his dog. And so he did announce that on court that he actually got interrupted by his own his own dog. And I thought that was just wonderful because it got quite a laugh from the crowd. Um, but it is also a testament to just, just how noisy that dog was in a small town across the week. Um, but I'd not Do seen they, that before. Are they allowing dogs at the tennis then? Was it in his box? Was it even in the stadium? I mean, we've seen oh. like, I think Bianca Andreescu's dog has, has made it uh, onto the court. We've seen, I think... Venus and Serena have had their pooches at the sidelines before. Um, but, no, but no, Bias was, was nowhere to be found. Um, he was just very loudly barking on his walk. So I thought that was quite wonderful, given how just small town it is in Sweden there. He knew his owner was playing and thought, right, let's, let's annoy him. Cheering support uh... <laughs> or maybe putting him off. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Player pooches um, getting involved in the action. I love that. Um, but yeah, Casper Rude, he didn't have, well, the best of days in the final, did he, of the uh, Swedish Open? Because he was up against Rublev, uh, so it was top two seeds in the final. But Andre Rublev winning in straight sets. So 7-6 and then 6-love in that second set. Uh, which was quite a surprise, like the, the nature of the scoreline in that second set. Obviously, you were there, Chris. What was the kind of main storyline of, of that match? Yeah, it was a very, very tight first set. I think it was kind of a case that um, the early break did go to Rublev and then Casper was able to break back. It looked pretty even. I mean, that first set was as close as it can be. Um, I mean, apart from if the tie break was pushed to be even closer. Um, but it was just a case that after getting that... Um, first under his belt Rublev just accelerated away uh the shots that were maybe slightly missing at times weren't missing um in that second second set and Casper said on court that I mean he hit every single one of the bloody lines um and it felt like it was almost as though it was one of those days he saw it like a football um and Casper was a little bit passive if I'm being honest um kind of throughout the tournament he was perfectly sort of balanced in terms of defending turning defense into attack um but I think he did kind of shy away from the ball a little bit that allowed Rublev to step into the court. And and then he was hitting winners for fun. And he said in press that shots that, you know, that he hadn't, um, that he hit with full force, he'd never expect to go in and they did. So, I mean, it's one of those days when if your opponent's a top tenner, 
playing, you know, lights out tennis. Uh, you just got to hope to try and get on the board and Casper wasn't able to in that set. Yeah, and I mean, Rublev on, on a clay court, he has, he's won all four of their meetings. So Rude has never beaten Rublev on a clay court, actually. Uh, despite, you know, Casper Rude owning those like 250s out on the clay, as we know he loves to do. But, you know, if he's up against Rublev, that's not the case. And Rublev, you know, being what Monte Carlo champion earlier this season, he's obviously had a good year on on the surface and, and a good year generally, to be quite honest with you. He's doing really well in, in the race as well. So it was a good, um, a good result for him. Um, Rude was previously a champion here. He'd won it two years ago. So obviously knows his way around the court, but just not um, at the level of, of Andre Rublev on the day with a yeah, very one-sided second set scoreline. But you asked Kasparu, didn't you, um, about Andre Rublev. Um, let's hear what he had to say. Kasparu, unlucky today. Um, but was that the best that Andre's played against you? And if he plays like that, do you think he's capable of making a slam final or even winning a slam? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he plays really aggressive. Um, no doubt about it. Um, and... You know, we were quite joking a bit about back and forth on, on the court about the certain things, but uh, he said to me, it's just a matter of time before you, I hope you win or see you win your first Grand Slam, and uh, I didn't have the chance to tell him back, but I'm sure that he will do better in quarterfinals uh, in his career. I mean, he's just been a bit unfortunate in many quarterfinals, he lost many tough matches, and many times he played Novak also, yeah. who's always going to be probably the toughest player to play in the quarters of a Grand Slam, so he's been a bit unfortunate, but uh, he's, um, he's a really good player, I think, when he plays on top, uh, not many people can handle his uh, pressure and his aggressive style, and uh, he's one of the guys who plays you know, fastest on tour in terms of how hard he hits the ball, so he also moves well, and today he was also you know, did some good finesse shots mm-hmm. with a slice and certain things. So he had kind of all, all answers to my game today. And I think something that was quite nice as well uh, was when they talked about the fact that, you know, he has had seven quarterfinals and that came up as well um, after the match when they were doing their speeches on court. Um, whereas seven quarterfinals, three finals, um, it didn't really feel like that. It felt like maybe the other way around. Um, but they're very close, both of them, it would seem, to having a breakthrough and... And as Casper said, when Rublev plays aggressively, uh, he can do an awful lot of damage and there's no question that he's got the game for it. The movement is the full package. It's just there's a lot of bad draws out there and Novak Djokovic in the quarters of a slam um, isn't someone that I think anyone would really want to face, would they, Kim? Yeah, I feel like both of these players are players that are waiting for the Carlos Alcarazes and the Novak Djokovic's to to be absent from a draw, perhaps. And then it seems like one of these players, you know, would be prime contender for taking their first slam. Um, we also asked Andre Rublev as well about how he was, how he's been feeling, and if this is the best he's felt on court so far this year. Um, you played a brilliant match and your backhand down the line especially was on fire um, in terms of your performance was that the best you felt on court this year? Uh, I would I would say the last couple of weeks I'm feeling the best for the moment so far mm. since maybe I don't know Wimbledon mm. Again I, I was quite surprised with his answer because I thought maybe he'd say absolutely because a six love set against the world number four I mean, that probably means you're, pre- you're feeling pretty good out there. But he did say he was feeling good at Wimbledon. Um, and I saw him play at Wimbledon and his level was right back up where it was for the Monte Carlo Masters. So it feels like he's in a good place. Uh, he's heading to Hamburg. And you'd have to say he's the person to try and beat there because 
um he's going to be so high on confidence um as as well as kind of winning in a place where when you listen to our episode later in the week it's very tricky conditions with the wind and rublev is obviously um, a ball striker so it can be difficult and he found a way to win and won in style so a great result for him yeah, and we'll have to see if maybe these two will face off against each other in Hamburg this week and maybe Casper can get the better of him this time round. That's what happens, Kim, in these ones. You go straight from Nordea Open to Hamburg and then you play each other again. So I'll be it in Hamburg this weekend. So I'm hoping for a rematch. I haven't seen the draw yet, though, but hopefully... Hopefully he'll be keeping the dog at home there, not bringing him to Hamburg, uh, his Casper. Um, but yeah, full episode on your time in Bostor later this week to be released. Uh, so listeners, definitely look out for that one. It's going to be a cracker uh, with Chris out uh, in the Nordea Open from last week. But let's have a look at the other tournaments from the past week. We had Gustard as well in Switzerland, also an outdoor clay event. And well, we had quite a classic clay court final, I guess, between um, Pedro Cachin of Argentina and Albert Ramos Vanolas of Spain. Uh, Cachin getting his first ATP title. Uh, he won in three sets over Ramos Vanolas coming from a set down. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember Pedro Cachin. He played Novak Djokovic, I think, in the first round of Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago. And here he is. Maybe he's used that experience, like playing, you know, such a great of the game to kind of power his way through to his first tour title maybe that experience has, has helped because he um yeah it was close in that last set seven five in the third he came through and this was his first final as well so really fantastic from Pedro Cachin uh, who at 28 you know is maybe getting up uh you know getting up there a bit later in his career but you know obviously doing doing really well um, this season on the tour. But what, what did you make of, of the action now at the Swiss Open this week, Chris? Well, I think it's been a, a great opportunity for someone like Pedro to get a win. Uh, I looked at the some of the, the seedings there and at the Nordea Open, there were four, there were five top 20 players, I believe. Um, and there was actually no top 20 players at this 250 event. So it really did give a great chance for somebody to break through and get a great result. And uh, as you say, like he was pretty inspired against Djokovic at Wimbledon and he's brought that level of, of form through. I mean, pushing him all the way in a tie break um, in the first round at Wimbledon and um, he managed to, to get it done, which I think is, is so great. And it just shows you that uh, the nature of the game now, we're talking this week about so many first-time champions um, that there are these opportunities to get wins and get titles um, on the tour, especially at 250 levels. So a great story and um, another pooch, I believe, Kim. Yes, another, one. <laughs> another pooch because Pedro Cachin brought his dog onto the court to celebrate. Um, he's got a French bulldog called Tango, which I think is is a great name, uh, especially for an Argentinian player. Um, and well, actually, apparently this dog was courtside, so he was allowed in. Um, I, I'm not sure how that that went down, but um, yeah, obviously helped propel Cachin to the victory, and he made sure that his dog was well rewarded with a nice cuddle afterwards um so <laughs> i thought that was really nice i mean who else is going to bring their dog onto court you know um soon it's, it seems like it's the week for dogs 
Um, also in Gustav, we had Stan Wawrinka winning the doubles uh, with, uh, I think, Stricker, who's also a Swiss player. So um, they had a nice home victory there. And it, that was Stan's first doubles title um, in more than a decade, uh, apparently. So he's, uh, I remember, I still remember when I think of Stan and doubles, I still remember him and Fedra winning, was it in Beijing? And they did that funny celebration with the, like, the, the hands and like the fire or the the fingertips <laughs> yes they did they did yeah i remember that and um oh that, i mean it's it's so funny to think that he hasn't won a title on doubles it's, it makes you think why was he playing doubles this week i guess on home soil potentially but um it was the first uh the first time that he had kind of got a victory for stricker so you know it's um definitely a nice one because i think they were on the same team at the united cup early in the year and forged a bit of a partnership so you never know. You might see coming to a tournament near you, Stan on the Stan the man on the doubles court. Stan and Stricker, yeah, maybe they'll keep the partnership going, not just for for the home tournament. Um, let's look at Newport as well because um, this is you know slightly weird week on the tour after Wimbledon. We've got all these outdoor clay events in Europe, but we have a grass court event out in the states. It's a very historic one. It's Rhode Island um, Tennis Hall of Fame. You know, Newport is is a great location, and this is this is a very historic you know classic tournament. Um, we had a. A nifty grass quarter in the final with Adrian Manorino, um, who I think might now be the French number one again. Uh, he's won the title anyway. He won it 6-2-6-4 over Alex uh, Michelson, who I have to say I'd never heard of before this week. He's a really young, up-and-coming um, American teenager playing in his first final. But yeah, Manorino got the job done. Straight sets in that final. Um, becomes the French number one. Um Chris, who is he replacing though? Who is he now replacing as number one? Well, so I believe maybe he was number one last week, but he just got it back oh. from Umber. Just got it back from Umber. Okay. They've been swapping it and now he's firmly at the top at number 27 um, with his second 250 title of the year. So Manorino's getting it done on the ATP tour, whereas most of um, Umber's results have come on the Challenger Tour. So I would say he should be far higher in our in our praise um, in that respect because he is still winning titles. I mean, uh, in, in his mid-30s. So that's that's brilliant. And it is a classic one where we're seeing so many more of these intergenerational battles. We saw a 20-year-old player, 36-year-old in the Wimbledon final. And now we're seeing um, a 35-year-old win against an 18-year-old who's almost unheard of. And I did have a little look at some of his... Um, results. I found a few interesting things out about him because I thought maybe our listeners weren't too familiar with him, Kim. So um, he was actually tossing up as to whether he was going to be a swimmer um, or a tennis player um, because his brother was a swimmer and he said that swimming wasn't his thing. Swimming's very hard and tennis is definitely more fun than swimming because swimming is too tense. And I thought... I, th- I thought it was quite surprising for us. I, I always feel quite relaxed after swim. I know that in Mallorca, <laughs> you enjoy a swim. I enjoy a swim in Mallorca. We feel very refreshed. So um, maybe competitive uh, swimming, it's the it's the most um, anxiety-driving sport out there whilst you wait for the gun at the start and diving in. But he's a tennis player and he did very well this week. Yes, he did. And I mean, maybe his swimming was slightly different to our sort of bobbing around uh, in a pool swimming. But um, yeah, really, really fantastic for Michelson. Just his second event on the tour. And, you know, he only recently won a challenger title, I think, earlier in Chicago this month. So to get through to a, a tour level final in only your second event is is always a, is a, is a good, um, you know, good 
good news story, good, good start to playing on the tour. But yeah, experience just winning out really with Adrian Manorino. And, you know, it's hard to keep up with the French number one, but yeah, fair play to Manorino. He is the French number one. He actually beat them there in the semifinals as well. So he just a battle for the number one. Rub that in further. <laughs> um, and we, I was thinking Isner was just going to win this tournament because it just, you know, has his name written all over it. But he got to the semis and lost to Michelson. So um, yeah, fair play to Alex Michelson there for um, doing so well and you know getting rid of uh, John Isner from the draw. Breaking John Isner, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah. He got one. Well. Yeah. Seven six six four. It was. So he uh, didn't rely At least completely one on tie breaks. <laughs> um, but on the WGA tour, we also had a um, couple of events. We had the Palermo Open, uh, which Chin Wen Zeng uh, won to get her first title on the tour. So yeah, another first time tour titleist uh, this week. Uh, Zeng beating Jasmine Paulini uh, in three sets. Bit of a topsy turvy scoreline, six four one six six one. Um, Zheng is now the eleventh Chinese woman to have won a WTA singles title, um, and yeah, she's she's been sort of, I guess, um, I've been noticing her more on on the tour of late. You know, she's she's twenty six at the start of this week, now won her first title. Quite surprising, maybe that she hadn't yet won one because she yeah has a really really nifty game, doesn't she, Chris? Yeah, and I actually thought that she might be one of those players that would break through at the French Open. She's obviously won this title on clay um, and she had that fantastic win um, at the at the French against Simona Halep. Um, and I think people thought with her big game, um, her aggressive front foot tennis and her like really fantastic serve that she probably would have pushed on a bit more by now. And she kind of hasn't got through um, kind of into having that major breakthrough, which I think is quite a big shame but I think it is also the fact that she did get her ranking up high enough to play these big tournaments so she doesn't really play that many 250s um, and rather she seems to be going out quite often in you know the round of 16 or the second round of kind of the, the Masters tournaments or the 1000s on the WTA tour as they're called so I think it's just good that she's actually kind of getting herself some more match time some more time on court and getting that ranking even further up because otherwise it does just feel like she hasn't quite gone as far as we might have thought at this point yeah it, exactly um and yeah I mean, it comes in like increments sometimes you can have a breakthrough somewhere with a big win and you know not get the next kind of breakthrough until a bit later but yeah fantastic result for her and, and paulini you know on, on home soil as well getting to the final not a bad week for her and joel's favorites sst falling in the semi-finals um and actually not Get it, yeah, but not having, you know, throughout the course of the week, she didn't have any sort of drastically long matches or epic scorelines. So, you know, uh, maybe surprising there. She's changed <laughs> but... her ways, Kim. She wants to get off the court quickly. <laughs> yeah. We also had the ladies' event in Budapest, which I think actually has come under quite a bit of controversy uh, this week for various reasons, which we'll get on to. But just a, a note on the winner, because... Um, Another first-time winner here, who, again, a bit like Alex Michelson, I'd not heard of um, before on the tour, and that's Maria Timofeeva. Um, she's from Russia. She, you know, is, I think, down in the... Well, she's now 129 uh, in the rankings, having won the title, but and that that's, that's brought her up, I think, over 100 spots. Um, so she was down at, you know, 250-odd when she started this tournament. Um she was a lucky loser into the draw and went all the way to win the title. Um, 
which is fantastic. I mean, you know, doesn't didn't have sort of the highest ranked players in this draw, um, but you know, she got she got the job done and to kind of you know debut here and and win the title, um, fantastic effort and bageling her opponent um, Bindle six love in in the third set so quite a comprehensive way to get the job done um when it go, went into that third set in the final yeah and i think um we can talk about the fact that obviously she she was a lucky loser and then came through and won um but it's also again a great to see that when lucky losers do get placed that they do kind of have a, a, a great run in tournaments we've seen it quite a lot this year actually that the nature of the game and just how competitive the tour is means that you might lose to one player in qualifiers who's really playing very well. And then the result is that you end up getting the lucky loser spot and winning the title. Um, and we've seen lucky losers have some fantastic results this year. I mean, obviously one of the standout ones was Struve in Madrid, um, who played that all, uh, a qualifier lucky loser, uh, semi-final and um, before we made the final there. So, yeah, I think it's great to see and seeing this new new talent come through um, and make the most of their chances, I think is wonderful. Um, and it's such a big jump in the ranking. So she will be pushing into the qualifying for the US Open and who knows what will what will happen for her in the, the US wing that she might not have even thought she'd be playing. Yeah, it just goes to show you that, you know, playing a 250 and winning it can drastically, you know, like half your ranking if you're down at... Yeah, 246 she was at the start of the week. Um, she's also only the fourth player or the fourth lucky loser ever in history to win a title. So lucky losers tend to do pretty well, but they don't necessarily go all the way, as you can imagine. So just that's very impressive alone. Um, and I guess, you know, we, perhaps we'd be talking more about Timothy, but if, if it weren't for the other sort of, um, I guess, action from from the week in Budapest, because we had a match, didn't we, Chris, um, mm. between Zhang of China and um, Amarissa Toth, who's a local Hungarian wild card. Zhang actually retired um, at 6-5 down in, in the first set, but there was a, a bit of a, well, <laughs> an argument essentially with the line judge about a, um, a decision, well, the umpire about a line judge's decision. Um, and then some very unsavoury scenes. Um, could you just talk us through what happened? Because some of our listeners may not have been following this because, you know, not everyone would have been following the Hungarian Open, it's, it's safe to say. Um, but, yeah, so quite some unsavoury scenes and unsportsmanlike behaviour on court, sad to say. Yes, indeed. And very, very unfortunate um, incident. So what happened was we were at 6-5, in the opening set and there was a shot that was hit by Zhang and that very much looked like it hit the line um whether it did or whether it didn't um it, I believe it was a bad call based on what I've seen um and based on the mark that was rubbed out um but the key to this was that she questioned the call the umpire did not change their mind um and before um at the end of the complaint from Zhang Toth had come over and actually rubbed out the mark um, and the crowd started to to boo Zhang um, during this. And it seemed like the 20-year-old Toth was actually getting very much um, uh, enthused by the crowd's negative reaction towards Zhang. And when Zhang did retire, after being very upset about what was happening, because it did feel completely unfair, and I fully understand why she would think that, because I've not seen a scene like this in tennis for a very long time. Um, Toth was then celebrating the retirement of someone who was obviously... Um, distraught at what had happened in her treatment um, for someone who is very well liked on tour and there was a massive 
um, outpouring of support across Twitter from players like Onshaber, Caroline Garcia. Um, it was across the board that this was not the right way to behave um, and that Zhang was a, a wonderful person, a great person to be around on tour. And if you're the Hungarian Open, I think you have to really look about what principles and values you're promoting at that tournament because uh, it definitely will not be the top of most players' list to return to. No, and the way that they came out on social media afterwards, the actual official tournament account, that did not help matters, did it? It didn't, it didn't. They were posting in um, Reddit forums saying, you know, this was not racism, the judges, the judgment was fine and that Toth had nothing to apologise for. Um, and you just feel like it's just a case where you don't know, really know what goes on. But I mean, yes, she is a Hungarian wildcard. Yes, she is 20. Um, but if we're looking at kind of bad behaviour on the tour, this is far exceeds anything that, you know, a Holger Rune has done at 20 or anything like that, I think. Uh, and this was her debut match on the tour. And so... I understand the tournament wants to be protective of her um, to a certain extent, but her behaviour was inexcusable at the tournament's defence of it. And saying this wasn't racism, um, I think, is is also not acceptable because uh, they have clearly not done an investigation. Nothing has been looked at yet. This is them trying to cover their behinds when it comes to this and um, get this to blow over. But there has been an apology since um, from Toth, who says that she is very sorry for how this went down and she never thought this would be the way she'd get her first WTA win. Um, so she has apolog- apologised, um, but for many, I think it will be too little, too late. Yeah, yeah, not not nice to hear all and see that. And it, and I, I mean, I guess a positive you could draw from it is that we don't see this sort of behaviour very often. And so when it does happen, it's such a shock, which means that for the most part, the majority of players are very sporting and and fair. And and so you know, it, it's it's this is like. Cause an a anomaly. big outcry because it's an anomaly at the sort of higher levels of the sport. So that's that's a positive I'm taking from it at the very least. And I'm sure Toth will have learnt her lesson. Um, and she did actually get knocked out by um, Katerina Bindel, uh, yeah, afterwards, who was the, the eventual finalist. Um, so just before we go to the break, Chris, we've got one more event that took place last week. Um and that's the Hopman Cup. So in addition to all of the ATP and WTA events, uh, the 250s that we've kind of just touched upon, Hopman Cup, uh, post-Wimbledon, July, Hopman Cup is back. Uh, it's, it's out in Nice. Uh, so it's not down under before the Australian Open. It's a very different sort of vibe and, and time of the year. Croatia won uh, with a team of Donna Vekic and Borna Koric. So, yeah, a very decent team, especially, you know, Vekic in, in recent good form. Carlos Alcaraz was there, Wimbledon champion. Fair play to him. He showed up and he played for Spain along with Rebecca Masarova. Croatia won, beating Switzerland in the final. What did you make overall, you know, of the event? Like, aside from Croatia winning, which is obviously fantastic for them, I think it's only their second title in the event. Were you really, like, focused on the Hopman Cup at all? I know you were out in Sweden, but I have to say, me being back in the UK, I had all the tennis at my fingertips, but the Hopman Cup was not really drawing me in like it normally would, um, you know, in, in its old format. Yeah, I think also the format of being uh, a warm-up event for the Australian Open, we were very excited to see those players play for the first time that year. The mixed format was something to really look forward to at the start, to kind of get people warmed up, ready to play the season. Whereas I feel like straight after Wimbledon, it's almost um, uh, a bit of a weird sort of cash grab for some of the players. I'm not saying that any of them necessarily need it, but... Uh, I do know that some players were scheduled to play elsewhere before this was announced and then they shifted because they were going to be given a bit more money to play here. So it felt a bit like players were paid to 
turn up and not necessarily play, uh, pay to play because Holger Runa couldn't get the ball in the court. I mean, he lost everything in straight sets and it felt like some players were really playing and competing hard and some weren't. And I think for a, for a Hotman Cup, it's always about the spirit of um, competing and, and having an enjoyable time, um, but still make sure that this is a competitive thing. There is a lot of kind of... Um, uh, there's a, I mean, the Hotman Cup is something that there's a great esteem attached to it. It's uh, a great title to win. So it's a bit of a non-event this time. And I do wish that they would put it back in Australia, in its former home, um, and have it as a warm event because this felt a bit more showboating in Nice than it did um, competitive mixed doubles. Yeah, it didn't feel like they were. everyone was fully at the races. Um, and it, I kind of feel if you're going to play a tournament, then, you know, make sure you're fully present but i think just the timing of it and it's just maybe they'll i don't know if they're gonna reflect upon this and think you know did it work was it successful should we do it again um you know at this time of the year but i have to say i, I just don't think it got the sort of gravitas that it used used to have like you said normally it's all eyes on the players because it's the start of the year pre-grand slam and this is very much, it was just a bit of an afterthought, really. Um, but Switzerland, I have to say, you know, they did very well considering they had Celine Naif and Leandro Riedi, both players who are, you know, much lower ranked than their um, opposition, really. And, and to get to the final, you know, beating France and Denmark, um, pretty decent from them. And Switzerland, you know, have a very good record in, the, in this tournament, having won, I think, the last two Editions back when it was played previously, but um, yeah, Vekic and Goric getting the job done for Croatia. Um, but just yeah, I think there'll be question marks over whether we have this Hotman Cup at, at this stage of the year going forwards, or whether there's just as much of an appetite in that post Wimbledon kind of lull um, that we get. But let's take a quick break now. We'll be back in the second half to discuss uh, Daria Kazakina questioning the WTA rules regarding top 10 players' participation, uh, looking at whether there should be best of five sets for women uh, at the Grand Slams, and also looking ahead to all of this week's action, including the return of Igor Svantec in Warsaw. So do not go anywhere. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to a bit of par for the courts action. It's been a while, Chris. Um, we've done a lot of Wimbledon-focused uh, coverage of the last few weeks, which meant we haven't done our usual kind of quiz segment. So I'm, I'm personally pretty pleased that it's back. Hopefully our listeners will be pleased as well. And I've got one for you, Chris. Um, right. I've enjoyed the break, Kim. I've got to be honest, not being put in the hot seat. <laughs> but I do think I need to get some credibility back after my predictions. 
Yes, after your Coco Golf winning Wimbledon prediction, I think. Um, Don't I remind hope me. You can redeem yourself. <laughs> Redemption arc needed. <laughs> From the slam spoon of shame. Will it be a par for the court spoon of shame? Um, I'm going Hopman Cup theme for this one. We've just been talking yes. about it before the break. And I've got um, hopefully quite an interesting Hopman Cup themed par for the courts for you. So are you ready? I am ready. Okay, so 2019 was the last edition of the Hopman Cup. Um, and obviously it's returned last week, but it's been four and a bit years since we've seen the Hopman Cup uh, out and about on the tour. So there were 16 players involved in that Hopman Cup. So eight teams of two players, so eight men, eight women, yes. 16 in total. Can you tell me um, how many of those players can you name? That's that's the challenge for you. Oh, this must be the hardest one we've ever had. I can give you the countries, um, but I want to know the players. So, I mean, unless you want to make it even harder. Where will par be set for this one? Par will be set, I think, at 50%. I'm going to be slightly kind to you. 50%. So eight players that played in the 2019 Hotman Cup. Um, I, I can actually, give you I'm the feeling countries. Comp- I will need the countries, <laughs> but I, I mean, I could get, I can guess some of them. I remember some of them, yeah. I think. But okay, um, so do you want the countries first? Yeah, of all? I mean, obviously, especially if, yeah, okay. and, and for our listeners as well, please, not just for me. No, exactly. Yeah, it's not all about you, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> right, so the countries, <laughs> countries, Hotman Cup 2019, Germany, Switzerland, France, United States, Greece. Australia, Spain, and Great Britain. So if you need reminding okay. as you go along, let me know. Okay. But, um, okay. well, so I need eight players from those uh, eight I'm, countries. I'm going to say I'm quietly confident on this one um, because I think the reason why you didn't say who won it for Switzerland was because maybe you were going to ask this. <laughs> um, so I do know that the winners uh, were Benchich and Federer for Switzerland. Correct. Uh, both Benchich and Federer did compete in the 2019 Fed Cup. Uh, Fed Cup? Hopman Fed Cup, Cup, sorry. I mean, I'm not sure he'd be allowed. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking Federer and then Fed, so sorry, my mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it, for the last two editions of it, it basically was the Fed Cup. Um, but in terms of a match that I remember that caused a lot of media attention was Serena Williams played against Roger Federer there with her partner, Francis Tiafo. Yep, Serena Williams, Francis Tiafo. Again, two correct answers. Well done. I also remember the final. Uh, I think that was Zverev and Angie Kerber in that final. I think I watched that for Germany. You are correct. It was Zverev and Kerber. Well done. So and you've got then, six so far, correct? I also remember a particularly awkward interview on the Get to Know Each Other, which was... Um, Katie Bolter and Cam Norrie, who clearly did not know each other very well at that point, um, <laughs> for Great Britain. Uh, yes, you are correct. So Katie Bolter and Cam Norrie for Britain. So, well, that's eight. You've reached par for the courts. Congratulations. I'm not sure how many more I can get, though, but I think there's one more partnership that I can get, or I can at least guess. And I think the Greeks were there. I think we had uh, Maria Sakkari and Stefanos Tsitsipas partnering up. You are correct. Yeah, I, I, you know, in hindsight, I should have made path of the courts a lot higher. <laughs> no, um, but then I'm, 
But now I'm a bit stuck as to who I'd go for. So what countries did I have, Kim? So you've, you've nailed Germany, Switzerland, United States, Greece and Great Britain. We've still got France and we've still got Australia and Spain. So if you can name those players, I'd be very impressed. I, I think I can name a couple of players, but I can't name the teams. Um, I think I've got two more names. Um, I think I've, Elise Cornet, I think, played there. I think I remember watching that. And I do think that Ash Barty was there. But, I, oh, I'm not sure, though. Correct to both. Elise Cornet for France, Ash Barty for Australia. Um, and do you then know I should guess. I should guess, right? Yeah, have a, have a wild guess. I'd go Richard Gasquet and... Uh, for the for the Australia, who would it be? I don't think it was a Bernard Tomic or a, a <laughs> Kyrgios. That would have made a lot of headlines. What about Alex Dimonor? Was he there? It wasn't Alex Dimonor, and uh, it's not Richard Gasquet uh, oh, either. No. Who was it? So I I would never have guessed this player either. Australia is Matthew Ebden. Really, uh, Matthew Ebden ranked forty eight in the world at the time. Uh, and for France, a player that uh, is not currently so highly ranked, but Luca Puy, who was ranked 19. I wouldn't have got that one. So, yeah, I, I think those two are much harder to get. You've got one team left, the Spanish team. Can you make a, a guess as to who okay, might have been involved? The year is 20, 2019. Um, I'm going to go for Batista Agu. And what about... Oh, Muguruza. Muguruza is correct. Well done. And it wasn't Bautista Agu. It was David Ferrer who was still in playing at that time. He was, still yeah. he was ranked down at 147 at the time. So I feel like that might have been his last, his exit certainly his tournament. last Hopman Cup. But yeah, on, on the way out. But well done, Chris. You did very well. You succeeded um, and, and beat my par score of 50%. So, well done. So, yeah, we had Kerber, Zverev, Bencic, Federer, Cornet, Puy, Serena Williams, Tiafo, Zachary, Sitsipas, Barty, Ebden, Muguruza, Ferrer, and Balta, Nori. And uh, as we mentioned, Switzerland won that uh, with the, the pairing of Bencic and Federer. So, obviously, yeah, top-notch pairing there. Um but yeah, fantastic. Well done, Chris. Um, Thank you so much, Kim. And um, <laughs> finally, I'm back in the winner's circle. Yeah, you've redeemed yourself well and truly there. Um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed Path of the Courts being back. We've also got our mailbag segment back. And we had a lovely question during Wimbledon uh, from Saif on Twitter, who said, as it's major time, uh, meaning, yeah, as it's major time, here's a question for the team. What do you all think about women playing best of five sets at majors? Also, if that was the format, which major winner do you think wouldn't have won her title or titles? And which player without a major would have won at least one? Um, so thank you, Saif. Thank you so much for your question. Ooh. Really, that's quite a yeah a tricky, a tricky one to think about who would and wouldn't have maybe won titles over best of five. But first of all, Chris, do you think that women should be playing best of five? Grand well, I think it's um, it's a tricky one because it's not necessarily what we're used to. Um, I think there might eventually be a move for men to play 
um, best of three is more where it's going rather than women best of five um, due to the TV nature of the sport. I think there might be eventually some changes in that respect like there has been um, across all of the tours that used to be the case that Masters 1000 for men were also five sets um, in the finals but they weren't for the rest of the tournament and then before that obviously there was a precedent of playing five sets more commonly Um, so I think for me I don't really think that often about the difference in the number of sets that are played Um, I think a lot of it does come down to um, tradition um, and the fact that the nature of the game and the physicality of the game is that bit different. Um, in terms of who would and wouldn't, um, ooh, that's a good one. We're looking for, I think Caroline Wozniacki would have won more slams. She She's a marathon runner. She can go for days on a tennis court. Um, so I think maybe she would have had some more slams um, in the sense that if, if every match was five sets, I think she would have gotten to a lot more finals because she would have outlasted a lot of her opponents um and I do think that for some players who might struggle with their kind of being uh, their form always being in top shape maybe someone like Rebecca wouldn't necessarily always get like wouldn't have won that Wimbledon um because she has kind of been quite injury prone so I do think it would lend itself a bit to the players who are less frequently injured would be doing the best and and the players like I mean Kvitova she's she's done very well um in terms of getting through matches. But if it was five sets, maybe she would hit, make some unforced errors in there, you know, and go off the boil for a bit. So it's a mix of concentration and physicality that I would say. But um, I think Serena might also have won more as well mm. if I, if I'm, because she's got a bit tight at times and if she had an extra set to play with, I think who knows how many more she would have won. But for me, I'm not necessarily seeing it as a, uh, would I like to see women, I would like to see women play more tennis, full stop. Um, but I'm not sure the best way to do that would be five sets. Yeah, I think there's other ways of like maybe boosting their like the profile of women's sports the and scheduling. And there's yeah, there's there's other factors, isn't there, with like prize money and scheduling to sort of put them more on, on a par. But I'm not against five sets for for female players. I but I think it's not been done before, and that's not to say they can't do it. But I think, and I'm not like a big traditionalist, like oh, just because something's always been done a certain way, it has to remain like that. I just don't know if it's fully the answer um however I also agree with you Chris on Serena I think she would have won more because I think you know if someone's going to play lights out against like Serena For having five to hours. win that extra <laughs> having to win that extra set you know we know when we see this in the men's game it's so much harder um to, to get it done over five sets so I think she would have won a lot more and yeah I think players like on the the the, the vein of her Wozniacki that sort of longevity and real top fitness and having that game that doesn't easily like break down very consistent um, rather than the sort of more flashy players, I think probably would, would benefit. Maybe Sharapova, um, would she have won less potentially? I don't know. She does have a great sort of resilience on the court, but you know, you, sh- you can't play at her level of intensity for five sets. I don't necessarily think at the same level, I think we'd see lo- lots more dips in levels with players. So you think like, maybe slightly less high quality finals at times. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think making it something longer is necessarily making it better. Um, and I think also if you're going to be a great of the game and, and win your slams, you know, you'd think that the, the same players would almost elevate themselves to play over five rather than three and they'd still win regardless if, if they're that sort of 
so mi- so minded. So I mean, it's a really interesting, you know, oh, what if question. Um, and maybe one day we will say, well, we'll see best of five. I don't know, perhaps. We've got to say for Joel that Sarah Perez Tormo or <laughs> maybe Haddad Maya for five sets, surely you'd think that they'd be in the mix for winning that one major. Oh, SST would I mean, she's probably in her head already playing five sets. And that's why she, she knows wants she's to playing a five, five set length of match when she steps three on court. Hours. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, one rule that is currently in place on the WTA tour is the fact that only one top 10 player can currently play in a WTA 250 tournament, um, like per tournament. And this past week, Daria Kazakina has spoken out on her girlfriend's YouTube channel about how ridiculous she thinks this rule is. And this kind of comes about, she was playing in the Palermo event. Um, I think she got to the quarterfinals. Um, but she said it's there's such strict rules about, A, how many WTA 250 tournaments that top 10 players can play, and also how many can play in each tournament. Um, and she's just sort of saying, you know, how can these tournaments make make money when there's only sort of one top tenner allowed to play. They're just restricting it for for a lot of the the top stars. It doesn't seem to be helping either the players or the tournaments. But what's your thoughts on this? Because obviously it's really good that Kazakina has spoken out about this. Um, We probably need more players to to do so if they're not happy with the rules and it makes life difficult for them. But what was your stance on kind of her calling this, this rule out? Well, I mean, I've just come from watching two top 10 players playing the final of a 250 um, over in Boston. So, you know, that, that just feels like um, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense, the difference between the ATP and the WTA in this area. Um, it does seem like a bit of an odd rule because then you're guaranteeing that you won't have two top 10 players in a final. And it also makes it very difficult in order to attract people to come and watch this. And that's Kasakini's big point that how do 250s make money and how do they thrive if you're going to have one top 10 player allowed and um there's a big difference between having you know an eager that we'll see in warsaw the number one in the world and then having um you know a kasakina who would have been ranked in the top 10 was ranked number 11 so there were no top 10 players here um that is different star power so it is very odd that the tournament's going to invite one top 10 player i think in terms of what the wta is doing generally i think they, they have to there has to be a strategy they have to try and focus players to play the bigger events and to try and get those events to have more prize money um, because they're even talking about b- banning top 30 players from 250 events full stop, not just kind of having two top 10 players. So for me, it speaks more to the fact that they don't want these 250 tournaments to be um, as popular and as successful and to have the money. I think they do want to try and focus the attention on less tournaments and bigger tournaments um, seems to be the plan, whether that's bigger draws um, or bigger prize money. But I'd say they're kind of failing at both ends here because Rome had a fraction of the prize money that the ATP event had. And when you look at the WTA 250s of this week versus the, the 250 that I attended um, at the Nordea Open, I mean, they're poles apart in, in prize money, in popularity, in attendance. Um, and so it feels like they're shooting themselves in the foot here. And I completely empathize with Kasakina because... Um, we want to see more people and more top women's te- uh, tennis players playing. And this literally prohibits them from doing that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think having a such different rule between the WTA and ATP, that just does not help matters. It does not help put them on an equal footing. Um, and I also think from a tournament perspective, the admin must be really difficult um, 
you're filling all these applications and then I don't know just dealing with it from like that sort of that, that sort of administrative angle I think um that would like irritate me if I was working in the tournament but I think it's raised some interesting questions and I don't know if if it will change based on feedback all can encourage is is for the players to to feedback if they're they're not happy with it um but yeah really interesting point raised by by kazakina um we do have some more of these 250s uh coming up this week so checking kim is that only one top 10 player exactly what's your ranking and, and should you be there um we've got on the atp side we've got umark um which is a 250 and also atlanta um and we've got warsaw for the WTA and Lausanne as well. And we've also got um, Hamburg for the men, but that's actually a 500. Um, where where are you looking forward to the most this week? I know we mentioned Hamburg. We've got both Rude and Rublev. They could very well be meeting again in, in another final. Um, I see that Jan Choinsky, a British uh, guy, he's qualified as well for the, for the main draw, which is exciting. Uh, Pedro Kashin is there. Maybe he'll continue his uh, his form on the clay as well. And Zverev also in attendance. Do you think we're going to be seeing a Casper uh, Andre Rublev battle again? Well, I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um, I will actually be heading to Hamburg for the semi-finals of the men and the finals for the women um, on the Saturday. Um, so if you're there, do let us know and we'll come and say hello. Um, but I mean, Casper's got a very tricky first round versus Baez. I mean, he's a, mm. a very good clay quarter who has actually reached the final at the Nordea Open. And, and he's obviously won titles before. I think he's won a title on clay this year. So he's coming back to form. And uh, you have to think that there could be some really tr- tricky matches in here for um, for whoever comes through at this at the Hamburg Open because you've got a Zverev versus Casper potential semi-final as well as um, and Massetti Rublev won. So similar lineup, obviously, but that would be that would be very interesting to see. But my attention, apart from my attendance, will be in Warsaw because I have some uh, top secret information that they've swapped this from clay to hard, uh, from clay to hard, because Eager wanted better preparation for the U.S. swing. Her father is the tournament director, and so it's the same surface they have as the U.S. Open. So this is um, how you get Eager to play your tournament. Um, you get Mr. Shriontek to set it up and then you get to put it on her preferred surface. So that is star power. Um, and it'll be interesting to see going from Clay last year, um, where she lost her unbeaten run on Clay to Caroline Garcia, um, to uh, a hard court where we'll see what sort of form she's in heading into the US Open. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly one way of, of changing, you know, <laughs> changing the surface. But you would do anything, wouldn't you, for your for your staff player? So I think that's that's pretty cool. You're the only um, top 10 player allowed. Well, yeah, exactly. And obviously you're going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how, if they had a hard, like, d- decision. Oh, mm. which top 10 should we allow at the Warsaw in Open? In Warsaw Open. <laughs> um, and also um, in Umar, we've got Marin Cilic, who is, who is back and playing in his in his home event so um that's exciting um and in atlanta uh that's headlined by obviously taylor fritz um and alex de Menor. so loads of american players in in that one as, as you can oh, imagine and nisha Corey's back that's great nisha to see Corey. back at tour level so that would be fantastic to see him play against some of the top players and potential uh match up with ben shelton if he gets past jordan thompson so a great, great to see him back because we know he's so good on, on a hard court as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be back as well, I think, uh, next week to catch up on all of the events. But we will also be releasing a Borstal um, special uh, later this week. Yes, indeed. So Chris, uh, you'll be kind of um, presenting that one and sharing all of the wonderful insight that you've gained from being out and about in, uh, yeah, at, at, the, at the Nordea Open last week. So It's called Foraging with Chris, is that episode Foraging title. with Chris, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wild raspberries, dogs <laughs> yeah. and Casper Rude. <laughs> yeah, it's very wholesome. Yes. Um, well, it sounded, sounded like you had a lovely week there. Um, so it's, and it's great that you're going to be in Hamburg. So fantastic. Um, doing lots of traveling at the moment. I envy you greatly. <laughs> it's the um, summer, Kim. Yeah, well, we've got to make the most of it. But listeners, I do hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Do remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all of the action from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. And we're at Tennis Weekly Pod at all of those. And we'll be posting the clips from our interviews in press with Rublev and Rude, as well as tournament director, former world number two and French Open finalist, Magnus Norman. And you can also email the show. It's tennisweeklypod at gmail.com. Or you can check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we'll be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.